and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so pleased that you've jumped on for another episode, and this week is a goodie. Any of you that are new and this is your first episode, I just want to say a massive welcome to the community. Each episode is so uniquely different. Some episodes will resonate with you more than others, and that is okay. Talking about resonating, this is one of those episodes that resonated with me. Anne-Marie is an international transformational coach, high-performance expert, NLP practitioner, motivational speaker, dancer, and is the founder and CEO of Lunar Voter Coaching. This episode is what happens when you get two people in a room that are both equally passionate about human behavior, emotions, and understanding what makes people tick. We spend the first half or more of the conversation talking about how to have unstoppable confidence. Anne-Marie describes how many high achievers have money and success, yet they still suffer in silence. We discuss how to move past your past, excuse the pun, and give you a framework that you can apply to your everyday life. In the second half of the interview, we unpack Anna Maria's story, her journey of self-discovery and the core belief that I am unlovable. She talks about the moment when she realizes she doesn't want to give her power away anymore. She doesn't want to be a prisoner of her own mind and she sets out on a mission to set herself free. This episode contains conversations around suicide and eating disorders. So please give yourself permission to skip this episode if it's not for you today. And of course, don't forget that this week we are focusing on sharing the love. If this podcast has been helpful for you or you want others around the world to hear these episodes, can you please share with one of your family members or friends that you think could benefit from listening to these conversations? So I'm super excited to have you, Anne-Maria. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat all the way from Seattle. Thank you so much for having me. And by the way, I'm currently in Silver Lake in a different place, but I, I am based in Seattle. <laughs> Where's Silver Lake? Uh, it's still in Washington. And you know how it is for entrepreneurs. Sometimes we are all over the place when life happens. So I'm currently here visiting family. It's very close to Seattle, still in Washington. And for the listeners, your accent, because this is probably one of the first interviews they'll hear where there's that really thick accent. Where where are you from and what's the accent? <laughs> yes, that's one of the first things I hear from people. What's your accent? Uh, it's Slavic and I am Bulgarian. I was born in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria, and I moved to America when I was 17. Yeah. So I really like to start our interviews with asking about if there's an animal that you would use to best describe you, what animal would that be and why? <laughs> I love this fun questions. My spirit animal is Puma because she's uh, graceful and fierce, observant, quiet, but also 
quick to take action. And it's also my nickname in my relationship. My partner calls me Puma. <laughs> oh, and is that because of a discussion that you guys have had? Or was that, <laughs> did your partner just come up with that word on their own? Oh, uh, it's funny. It's, it's tied to a nickname that we have that is uh, derived from Bulgarian word kote, which means kitten. And then I upgraded from kote to puma. <laughs> oh, I think that's a great animal to describe you. <laughs> and the other question that I love to ask is around, did you have a favorite place or room when you were growing up as a child? Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely the dance studio. For the viewers, I'm also a dancer and as I told Ali earlier, once a dancer, always a dancer. And I have always loved being in the studio. I have always loved dancing. And I have a fun story that will just give you an idea of my personality. I remember going to my first dance class when I was six years old or maybe even earlier. And I remember that all the girls were wearing leotards, as you can imagine. And of course, Anna Maria was wearing deep purple leggings and the funny thing is that i did not think to myself why am i looking so weird i thought to myself why is everybody the same so (laughs) (laughs) i love that oh that is so true to your personality (laughs) and what sort of dancing do you do (laughs) yeah absolutely i started with bulgarian folk dance because of my mom and, and then I transitioned to exploring almost every genre possible from hip hop to, of course, ballet and jazz, lyrical, contemporary. And I would say that the genre, salsa, Latin dance, the, the genre that describes me the best would probably be, uh, contemporary. And of course, salsa, which is very confident and flamboyant. And I love music. So it's, it's a very good style for me. And you studied a double major in international dance, didn't you? International studies and dance. Yes. Ah. (laughs) Yes. So you studied a double major in international study and dance. Yes, yes. And it was really funny that uh, when I did that, my advisor told me that I was literally the first person to go towards two very distinctly different areas. As you can imagine, international studies is a very vigorous program, very mental. People go there to become diplomats and all or to get at a very high end job and whatnot. And, and dance is all about the soul. And, and I actually joke often that I learn more about life through my dance program <laughs> than I did from my international studies program. Why? Because in dance, I learn who I am. And I think that's the best skill we can learn as adults. Who are you? What drives you? What are your fears? What are your triggers? And most importantly, how do you carry yourself? And I think this is very important, not just physically, but how do you bounce back from challenges? How do you remember your purpose, your why? And most importantly, what do you want to accomplish in this life? And this is the conversation that we're going to go really deep into today. So, Emery, you also have not just that degree. You have so much study under your belt. You did a social science degree, behavioral psych, communication, and you're an NLP practitioner. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes, that's true. <laughs> wow, so much study. And so where has that taken you? Like where did your career start and where are you now? What are you doing now? <laughs> this is a great question. and. I, again, I often say that 
I am uh, the person that I am not because of how much I have studied, but it's because of my challenges. And that's why we're here to start embracing our challenges as a gift. And this is not something you can read in books, even though I have read a lot of books. <laughs> it's something that you need to find within yourself. And going back to your question, so after all of this study, I realized when I was in my mid-20s that my purpose was to help other people to overcome their challenges. And that's why I'm so privileged and honored to be here today to speak about my own former challenges and to inspire people who are listening to this podcast to see that every single day is a new opportunity to change your life. And to answer your question, I discover who I am because of, of these challenges and not because of the books that I've read. And I use the books that I've read to create my methodology that is science-based and my results as the confirmation that everyone can do it. And then I started working with people. I was working with a lot of volunteers first, pro bono, before I was charging for coaching. And long story short, I accumulated enough evidence that my method works and my method is based on the thesis that once you overcome the fear of not being good enough, you can accomplish anything. And it is the fear of not being good enough that creates compulsions, that creates a midlife crisis, that creates comparison, that creates envy, that creates the fear of failure, the fear of the unknown and whatnot. Yeah. And you're in the coaching space at the moment. You're, you have a coaching business, Luna Voda Coaching. Yes. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Now it's, it's been um, how much? Uh, six years. Mm-hmm. Yes, six years. And who, who do you work with in that business? I work with high achievers uh, mostly. And most of the clients that I help are based on, on me. Uh, <laughs> so I work mostly with high achievers from the tech and corporate industries and also entrepreneurs and coaches. And I work with people who are very intelligent, who are very erudite, who are very successful and intellectually at a very high level, right? Or they have the money and something is lacking. So if, if I am to describe the kind of people that I work with one sentence, I work with people who in on the outside look like they, they're having this amazing life, but secretly they're suffering in silence and they're not reaching out for help. Yeah. And so do you do one-on-one coaching or do you have masterminds? If someone's listening and they're like, whoa, that's me. How do I get in touch? <laughs> you know, because we're in Australia and you're over in Seattle. What what does that look like? Oh, I, I work with people from uh, all over the globe, actually. I have clients in Asia. <laughs> so I'm waiting for my Australian clients to come to me. Seriously, I have one-on-ones and my mastermind evolves. And the mastermind evolve is for people who want to have the confidence the high performance and the relationships. Confidence, high performance, and the relationships. Don't we all want that? I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> hey, where do I sign up? And this whole month is dedicated to uh, nonverbal communication, honing your social skills, and what is very important creating better boundaries and learning how to speak your needs and express your feelings. And again, this is very much tied to what we're discussing in today's episode. And this is something that I have struggled so much to share how I feel instead of withdrawing, instead of suppressing my feelings, instead of trying to pretend that I, I 
I'm good, right? And let's let's uh, confirm that there is no bigger lie than saying I'm fine. <laughs> yes, and so often we do that, don't we? It's like someone says, "How are you?" I'm good, I'm fine, but really there might be something eating your soul, or it might just be a tough day, or you might be having a great day, but I'm fine. It doesn't kind of give you any landscape to go in and have the next part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so we can attach something in the show notes for people if they are interested in coming in and having a look at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can just jump on and all your information will be there. I would highly recommend it. I'm definitely going to make sure I jump on one of those calls as well. I would love to come on. Oh my on. gosh, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into, let's get into a little more detail around when you say unshakable confidence. I, I've heard you say that a lot over the time that we've known each other. What do you think about when you're talking to people about unshakable confidence? I love this question. This is one of my favorite questions and I can talk about this uh, for hours. So I'll try to be brief. (laughs) We have an hour. So please (laughs) go nuts. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, I love this question. So the way I define unshakable confidence is when you are resilient, when you are in congruency with yourself. What this means is you say one thing and you do it. And when you start to feel fear, you are still fierce. You can be fierce despite your fear. And also unshakable confidence is raising your standards from the heart and remembering that your net worth is not your self-worth and your self-worth is infinite. And once you create this unshakable confidence that you are powerful, you're strong, your past does not define you, you define yourself and this definition defines your future. And most importantly, unshakable confidence is when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, to embrace vulnerability as a superpower and to really know who you are and to know that there is only one you in the entire world and this is your superpower. And if someone's thinking about that and you said the words that your past doesn't define you, I mean, that's pretty much what we bring into this show every time I talk to someone. It's like, what have you experienced in the past and what lessons have you learned from that and how has it impacted you today, but in a positive way, you know? So when you think about your past doesn't define you, do you think about it doesn't actually like have shackles on you and it doesn't control the way you behave and the way you react to people? Because in a way I think about the past, I love the saying past doesn't define you, but I think we can break that down a little bit more, you know? because it does for many people define them. And it's not so much about it being you want to forget about your past. It's you want to learn from it and you want to know when it holds you back and when it can propel you into the future. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I love this clarification because the way I define the definition is more like you're making peace with the past you're letting go. And here is something that I uh, tell my clients when we talk about forgiveness. This is my personal definition. I define forgiveness as the conscious act of choosing not to carry the burden of someone else's mistakes. And, and this is how we allow the past not to define us. This is when we, first of all, take our own power back and we take full ownership of our choices which is tied to confidence. So for example, if someone has been a victim, literally, to adversity, to something that is it's not to be condoned by any means, this person still has the choice to move on and to know that what happened to them is not their fault 
and they can either spend their entire life in self pity or in or angry or or unable to move on or repeating the same toxic patterns. Unfortunately, we know that kids raised in toxic uh, families often attract the same partners growing up. This is what I mean by breaking the cycle, breaking the cycle, and also reinventing yourself and and moving past what I call the ancestral syndrome. And the ancestral syndrome is when we repeat generational behavior, right? When it comes to money, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to what can you or what can you not accomplish and whatnot. So when we, first of all, make peace, if I am to give formula to people, how do you move past your your past <laughs> first first you have to make peace with the past living in self-denial pretending that things did not happen to you or pretending that you weren't hurt this is actually suppressing your emotions and even if you pretend that nothing happened and you're fine this will eat you alive this 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 feeling of something something is wrong right so first we make peace and if we can do it by ourselves that's that's great and if you need help definitely seek help because there are different levels of trauma or challenges and then the second step is to understand that forgiveness is not condoning anyone's behavior it's just you liberating yourself from carrying this this anger inside of you or this hatred or resentment and then number three is to ask yourself how do i want to live instead if I am to take my power back, what would, what would I do in the future? And what I tell my clients is that the only way to change the future is to learn from the patterns you have accumulated in the past and change your present. I love how you've summed that up because that's a hundred percent what I believe. And when I work with people in a very similar way, but the way that you put that into just three distinct steps, you know, it's not as easy as just do one, two, three. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of, I guess, investment of energy and time to do the work, but it's well worth it because when you do start to make peace with the past and understand about forgiveness, we had a conversation, I think in episode seven with Brody about forgiveness. And I think this is a really beautiful add on to that conversation because we were saying that often people think about forgiveness. It's about condoning and saying that what they did was okay. And it's not about that. It's about, it's no longer serving you and you're holding on to all this energy and it's taking all of this commitment for you to be tied down to that experience. And how can we free you from that so that you can go and live the life that you want to live? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And also this is very much tied to another confusion we see in, in, in the personal development world when a lot of people, especially women, unfortunately confuse uh, self-care with being selfish or being self-centered and, and self, self-love is, is about you loving yourself through your actions. Again, this is very much tied to congruency. And a very good question is, am I loving myself if I am still uh, torn apart for things that happened in my childhood or for things that happened in school or for things that happened, you know, whatever? Because the truth is that all of us have had challenges. I haven't met a single person who has a pitchy, uh, rainbow, shiny life. And we all know that even kids that were raised in very wealthy families or they, they had it all in quotation marks, they had their own issues. 
this and this is why I'm so passionate about teaching people that is is not the money you're after, is not the relationship you're after. It, you are after how you feel, and you can cultivate this feeling mm-hmm. right now in this very moment. And what happens when we become unshakable again? Nobody knows, especially with now with inflation on the horizon and you know things go ups and downs. And for for those of our viewers who are entrepreneurs, you know that our our business, as much as we try to make it stable, there is always an, a chance for something to go off, right? <laughs> and and when you have a shakeable confidence, you allow yourself not to be defined. If you don't make that much money in one month, you don't allow yourself to be defined in your confidence. And or if you go through a breakup, you don't allow yourself to think that you're unlovable. Or if you are the one to leave a relationship, you do it because you know you deserve more and and so forth. And also when you were talking about the self-care versus feeling self-centered, another add-on to that that I think about when you were saying that is I talk to people about self-care. We often people associate it with like relaxation or having a bath or going for a walk. And it's, yes, absolutely. That's an aspect of self-care, but there's also what makes you feel brilliant and what pumps your tires and what makes you feel energized in the world. And that could be something the opposite. That could be doing another course or going and doing a dance class or actually like doing something really invigorating. And that's also self-love and self-care. So self-care is not in a simple definition chill out, relax. I think that's another myth that we see mm-hmm. in the industry, wouldn't you say? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And now our viewers probably understand why I am also adding the high performance element in my mastermind. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And it's why we have wellness and performance in yes. ours because they go together, they're hand in hand. It's They're not separated. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they interact together beautifully and you actually want to understand and unpack mm-hmm. both and know what works for you personally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so true. And again, as I said in the intro, everything that I do is tied to confidence because a very practical example is, is exercise or nutrition. A sign of confidence is to tell yourself, I deserve to take 20 minutes off my computer, chew my food and enjoy myself, right? A confidence is knowing, mm. you know what? Yes, so what if I don't uh, hit my uh, target this month financially? I deserve to go for a walk and take care of my health. And of course, the, the here is the, the catch that I feel like a lot of people miss out. The more you do these things, the more you take care of yourself, the more your confidence increases. And what happens when you have more confidence? You show up with more productivity. You eliminate procrastination. And of course, you earn more money because you are magnetic, magnetic you are charismatic, and you draw people in. And I would love to share a research that I literally read the other day as I was preparing for one of my sessions for my mastermind. Here is an interesting fact that surprised me also even though it's not that surprising. <laughs> uh, so the research is that in, in 2021, in uh, across multiple industries in the tech and corporate uh, spheres, people were asked, what do they think is more important for their success? How much they know, their qualifications, their CV, their competence, or how confident they are. And interestingly enough, 82% voted for confidence. And we're talking about people who have doctorate degrees or master's or PhD. So enough said. <laughs> mm. But just think about our own lives, right? Like when I'm lacking confidence, if I get imposter syndrome or if I, you know, last year when I couldn't train, that had a huge um, rattle in my confidence. Everything felt hard. Mm -hmm. 
you know, even the simple tasks felt harder. But when you do feel like you're like oozing confidence and you're feeling on top of things and you feel like you are capable and confident to go out into the world and do whatever you want to do, everything comes a little bit easier. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. And Amory, you didn't start here. <laughs> like, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and have this beautiful conversation about self-confidence <laughs> and high performance, but you know, there was a long road that got you to where you yeah. are today. We might go back a little bit and pull back the curtains and have a look at some of those earlier chapters of your life that have led you to where you are today. Of course. Yeah. So where would you like to start? If you were to think back through your lifetime and through your history, what really started you on this journey way back in the beginning? Mm. Yeah, this is a, such a great question. And again, just to tie some of the things we discussed so far, for me, confidence is really tied to vulnerability and also allowing yourself to be seen. And this is definitely something mm. that I struggle a lot with. This was my personal challenge. And, and this is why even in my early 20s, people perceive me as, as a confident uh, girl because the way I carry myself, I can project confidence. And the reason I'm saying that is because a lot of people confuse people who project confidence with unshakable confidence. So if you are to see a photo mm -hmm. of me or a video of me when I was in my late 20s, I will still be that charismatic. <laughs> But on the inside, I was so miserable. And this just goes to show that we can project a facade of confidence and still be torn on the inside. And I was torn on the inside because of my biggest challenge that I had to overcome in my life. And, and that was uh, tied to my upbringing. And even though I'm not a fan of the word trauma, because I think it's overused, objectively speaking, I had a really big trauma and I didn't even know that I had a trauma until I realized that in my adult life. So in a summary, when I was a little girl, my mom, who is very successful and, and very beautiful and people love her. And for me, she's the total epitome of a successful person on all fronts. And I love her very much. And nevertheless, in uh, her marriage with my biological dad, she was often being disrespected and emotionally abused and whatnot. And growing up, as you can imagine, when children create our representational system of the world, I, this is of course me now uh, analyzing myself. I didn't know this when I was a kid. Um, but I, I know that yeah. little Anna Maria got so confused that there is no way to win in life. So I look at my mom who, who has everything you can, you, you could possibly want to be successful again, like looks and, and, uh, friendships and success and 
and, and, and yet she was disrespected behind closed doors. And I got really confused. And I was like, okay, so there is no way to win. There is no way to receive love. If you are beautiful and successful and intelligent, you're still deprived of love. And if you're not these things, you're still deprived of love. And in my head, I created this cognitive dissonance or a paradox that I am unlovable. And mm. to make matters even worse, my dad was constantly comparing me to my mom and in a negative way. And, and you can imagine how much my self-esteem was squished to the point of developing an eating disorder. And for those of you who are familiar with the root of every eating disorder is when a child or a teenager or an adult doesn't have any control over the their environment and they cope with this lack of security with trying to control the one thing that they can control, which is their body or their appetite. And this is exactly what mm. happened because I felt so unsafe. I consider attempting suicide. I don't know if that's okay to say on the podcast. Yeah. It's absolutely okay. Of course it is. It's This was your life, yeah. right? This is your reality of yeah. growing up. I just love your honesty and yeah, vulnerability. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. Even, even right now, as you can see, I'm kind of quivering here. And it's mm. not something that I talk yeah. about that often. And I am actually challenging myself. And to be completely transparent, this is the first time ever when I share my story publicly, even though I've done a lot of interviews and podcasts. And uh and I'm doing it because I really want to lead by example. And that's something that I am mm. committing to every single day to show people that everything that I'm preaching about showing up and, and fully speaking from the heart, I do the same. Even to this day, when I share my story, I still cringe on the inside. I want to, to finish it on a positive note that despite all my challenges, and this is a story for a, a book, honestly, Nevertheless, after mm. I went through hatred towards my dad, through anger and and deep pain, disappointment and any negative emotion you can think of, one day I realized exactly what I told you earlier. I realized that I can spend my entire life blaming my dad for my relationships, for my self-esteem, for uh, how much I hated myself, how unlovable I, I thought I was and and how unhappy I was on the inside. And I told myself, so I can spend my entire life giving my power away, reliving this cycle, living in the limbo of my own mind, being the prisoner of my own mind, or I can set myself free. And how did I set myself mm -hmm. free? By forgiving him, by seeing him as a little boy who was abandoned by his dad and he was just acting from a place of hurt. And once I saw my dad as a little boy who was just hurt and he didn't know better, I was able to move on. And I haven't spoken to my dad in years. So this is again about boundaries. So I chose to move on and not to not speak to him again. And I still in my heart, I wish him, I wish him well. And, and that's, that's forgiveness. When you can look at the person that who wronged you and you can send them love and compassion. And I love that you explain about forgiveness in that moment, still setting boundaries. You know, it's not forgive and let people back into your world. For some people it is, but not for everyone. You know, you've set the boundary that that's not safe for me today to still have you in my world, but I wish you mm -hmm. well in your life. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need you in mine right now, but I wish you well in yours. I'm not, a, you're not attached to that eating up your soul every day anymore. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And how did you go about that? Like you said you made a decision. Did something happen? Yeah. Did you wake up one day and think this isn't working for me? Like I always love when I speak to someone that's so acutely descriptive in their story because it sounds so seamless and I know it's bumpy, right? (laughs) It's a bumpy ride. You need lots of seatbelts and it's up and it's down and it's sideways and it's every what way. But I guess when I listen to you talk, it sounds seamless. So how did it happen? (laughs) When did you realize that you wanted to do the work and what did that how did you do the work? Um, here is the secret. I'm doing the work every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But on a, on a serious note, yes, I do have a moment that is my defining moment. And so I was in my uh, last year of university where I wa- worked with a mentor and I conducted a research and throughout this research, I was uh, finding answers for myself. I wanted to see how many of our patterns growing up are still present in our lives when we become adults. And I had volunteers that I was assigned prompts and we were meeting for interviews where I was asking them different questions. And this is how I was developing my thesis that became the foundation of the research. And this research became the the foundation of my coaching methodology. So long story short, I had volunteers from all ages and backgrounds. And one of my volunteer was in his 70s. And in his 70s, he was still blaming his parents for his choices. And he was still single. And I remember talking to my mentor about our interview and I broke down in tears. And this is when I was 24 or 25. And I told myself, I'm not going to allow myself to become that person. And this is when I made the firm decision that I'm going Owen. And until I heal myself, until I overcome my patterns, I'm not going to stop. And, and the good news is that again, for those of you who are, you, you want this happy ending, there is a happy ending. Of course, every happy ending is a new beginning, but the happy ending of this particular cycle is that I was able to overcome my commitment issues. And even though I almost sabotaged my relationship with my partner today, here we are and we are in love and we are very happy and I'm very happy and I'm also doing what I love every day. So as a positive um, testament, once you commit to doing the work, every single person can change. And when you say the work, (laughs) people are going to say, what's the work? (laughs) I know you said you do it every day, but let's break down the work a little bit. Like what what are some options for people? Yes, such a great question. And let let us demystify the work. And I love giving uh, people very practical uh, action steps that they can take immediately. So the first thing is to start with your childhood and to look at your childhood upbringing. So uh, let me give you a very simple example to get you started. If you were raised in an environment when you had two parents present and they were in love or they were happy and they were giving you all of your, the attention you deserve and the love and the respect, this means that most likely you have uh, what we call a secure attachment style. If, however, one of your parents was uh, gone and you were raised by a single mom or dad or the other uh, one of your parents was present one day and distant the other day, unfortunately, this leads to an avoidant attachment style. And then finally, when we have 
uh, one or two parents who were loving you one day and the next day you weren't good enough or they were <laughs> expecting you to excel at school to be lovable and whatnot and this typically leads to developing an insecure attachment style so what i'm going with that is that once you get clear on what is your upbringing and this is tied to relationships but how we show up in our relationships as we know is how we show up in every other area because our relationships are not just romantic mm-hmm. they're business right mm-hmm and mm-hmm. first get clear on your childhood patterns on the inner child and in my mastermind i do a lot of inner child uh, work and we look at the archetypes and because again most of my clients and maybe most of the people listening to this uh, podcast i are high achievers very often i see the inner child of the perfectionist and the inner child of the, of the perfectionist is when we put a lot of pressure on ourselves we think that unless we achieve X and Z, we're not good enough. So in, in this context, once you realize what is your inner child archetype, and I have an article on my blog that is free with uh, very good self-evaluation for people so that they can see if they're a people pleaser, if they're a perfectionist, if they're a high achiever, underachiever, and so forth. And so this is number one, to figure out your inner child archetype, because it doesn't matter how old you are, there is an inner child in all of us. And our inner child mm-hmm. is always screaming for love. Every single thing that we do, whether it's a compulsion, addiction, numbing, any sort of financial problem or relationship problem is tied to our inner child wanting something from us, right? And then number two, after you realize that <laughs> and get clear, the second step is to see, this is very important, this is when you uh, create clarity and when you create self-awareness to see, okay, l- let's say that we're talking about someone who has a high achiever inner child archetype, which often leads to perfectionism, to being critical of yourself, of being judgmental of yourself, of always chasing the next thing, to always searching for something to complete you and not. So let's say that this, this person... It's like, okay, I don't want to live anymore with this fear that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worthy, that I need to compensate for for something, right? So the next step is this clarity and self-awareness to see how is your inner child archetype showing up in your life. How do you communicate? When you feel that something is, is not happening in your life the way you want, do you withdraw emotionally? Do you communicate do you criticize yourself? Very often I see with high achievers is that they're very critical of themselves, right? So this is number two. And and again, how is it tied to self-love that we discussed in the past? This is a very good test. H- how much do you really love yourself when you're going through challenges? Do you t- tell yourself, I, I, I got this, I can do this, I am going to show up, I'm going to receive help, I'm going to ask for support? Or do you tell yourself, oh my gosh, I'm such a failure, what is wrong with me, here I, here I am failing again? What is your self-talk in these situations? And then number three, after you uncover your inner child archetype and you get clear on how is your inner child archetype showing up in your business, in your financial or romantic relationship and whatnot, And then the number three is to start, of course, no surprise, changing these things, to start changing these things and to start building the confidence that you are enough, you are enough. And once you start to re-sculpt your neurons, as I say, to, to start seeing that even if one of your parents 
were critical of you when you were a child, you can now reparent your inner child. You can now learn how to love yourself unconditionally, to accept yourself unconditionally. And from this level of self-acceptance, to see where you are and take the empowering action forward. Because telling yourself, this is just who I am, is an excuse. And this Mm -hmm. is, I really want to make sure that this is very clear for our viewers. Self-acceptance is different than self-denial. Self-acceptance is, I fully love and approve of myself the way that I am today. And I'm changing myself because I deserve to feel better. Instead of telling yourself, oh, this is just who I am, right? (laughs) And I think when you're saying that, it's also, it doesn't mean it doesn't come up though. Like what you're saying, it doesn't mean that you don't get those little inner critic conversations coming up in your head. It's stepping into that space and showing up for yourself in that space and going, ah, there it is. What can I do Mm -hmm, with that? mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, to be vulnerable again, I, interestingly enough, I had a, uh, something similar that happened literally this morning. And, and this is what I did. I traced the fear. No, it, I, actually, it wasn't a fear. It was a frustration. So this is why we need self-awareness to be able to label these things. Am I afraid? Am I frustrated? Am I concerned? What is actually going on, right? That's why we talk about tactical empathy and also the ability to label your emotions. So this morning, for example, I had a moment of a frustration. I even cried a little bit and I traced my frustration. And as I unpiled my frustration, I realized that it was still tied to a fear that I had as a child. And as a child, I often fear that I, I, I don't fit in, that I am different. And every single time when I'm in a situation when I feel like I don't belong or that I'm different or that I'm too much or whatever, and I, I start to feel this frustration. And, and this is why we need the confidence and self-awareness because now I tell myself, okay, this is just a fear that is coming from something that happened to you in your childhood. You are an adult. How can, and I kind of talk to myself, how can we talk, talk, <laughs> yeah, I talk to myself like this actually. <laughs> yeah, so do I, so do I. I was thinking the exact same thing, like exactly. I was thinking today because I've had a massive emotional week coming into this interview. It's been multiple times that I've been like, oh, have I got, have I got what it takes to ask the next question or, you know, that inner critic's coming up and it's like I'm catching it and going, you know what, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> Amory is doing all the work, you know, but it's that it's catching it, isn't yeah. it? It's being aware enough. So there's a few things that I'm hearing you saying. It's, it's the awareness, but it's, it's having language to be able to identify it and then having a framework to be able to do something with it mm-hmm. once you identify mm-hmm. it. Yes. And if there is one thing that our viewers remember from this podcast, I really hope uh, our conversation inspired create space for self-awareness because most people are not self-aware enough. They think they are because they're intelligent, but intelligence does not result in self-awareness. Self-awareness is about Mm. you knowing yourself so well that you never bounce back. You never withdraw back to old patterns. And most, most importantly, when you're going through challenges, you keep going, you forge your heart. And it really pains me when I see people who are so talented, who are so amazing, and they give up because they're not able to have this difficult conversations with themselves, or they're unable to reach out and receive help. And it's still, this is, it's so interesting that if we fully trace it to confidence again, it is still a confidence issue because if you are unable to show up, 
and express how you feel, it's still a, a confidence issue. The the lack of confidence touch you how other people are going to perceive me if I share my weaknesses or if I admit my challenges. The the fear and the shame are the two words that I'm hearing when yes, you talk yes, about yes. that, right? They just cripple individuals. I've been crippled by them. I'm yeah, sure you have been. But And I think that tying it back to when you had the conversation earlier around some of the things that you went through and how you felt, speaking about it, speaking about it to yourself and speaking about it out loud to others can take away some of that. You know, just having the conversation with yourself and others can start to break down those walls mm-hmm. of shame and secrecy and blame and fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And thank you so much for saying that because this is something else that I also have struggled with, um, the, the shame of showing up. And again, let's use shame uh, as an example of what I was showing you in my formula on first uncovering your inner child archetype and then getting mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. And, Perfect. Okay, very yes. good. Okay, so shame. So let's use a fictional character, Molly. If one of our viewers is Molly, we're not talking about you. <laughs> okay, so let's say Molly is is going through, uh, she's very successful at work. She's a high earner. People at her workplace respect her and she's crushing it and her friends envy her for her amazing house and everything. Look on the surface, everything is fine, right? And she is in a relationship with someone who behind closed doors does not respect her. And um, Molly starts to feel shame that other people are envious of her lifestyle and deep down she feels like a fraud. She feels like, oh my gosh, uh, people think that I'm so successful, but here I am tolerating this type of behavior. I'm tolerating cheating or I'm tolerating someone who is on their phone or they're not giving me quality time, whatever the relationship issue is, right? And then this is how the shame crawls in. And then Molly can do the same thing that I was teaching you. So Molly can trace her inner child archetype to her childhood and see, okay, was I raised in a family dynamic when one of my parents was the breadwinner? Was it my mom or is it my dad? To start evaluating the dynamic. And of course, to see if one of the parents were, was unfaithful or to see if their parent, her parents had any sort of relationship issue and whatnot. And, and then she can start evaluating her behavior. And maybe, and this is based on again, coaching a lot of people. So very often what I see is that Molly, most likely as a child, was encouraged by her parents to have great grades and she started to her brain started to confuse the excellence at uh, at university and the high financial status with love and she formed the belief that she's only lovable if she's making enough money or she's only lovable if she's perceived as successful and of course she starts to feel shame but because of her upbringing when let's say her mom was suffering in silence and wasn't sharing her needs and Molly has the same pattern. And just to finish this example, so what happens is that when the shame uh, cripples in and Molly doesn't feel like sharing because if she shares, she feels like sh- she will admit that she's unlovable. So everything uh, in my coaching method, I often say that everything with you is an act of love or a cry for love. Mm. Mm. And there's going to be a lot of people out there, maybe the Mollies, but I'm actually thinking about Molly's mom or Molly's dad. So a lot of our audience are mums and dads. And I always find, is this your experience that when we start unpacking some of this and starting to create that self-awareness, if someone is a parent in that moment, 
there's shame around, oh, my God, what have I done to my children? Like, do you get that? I often hear people be like, oh, no, what am I doing to my children? So what advice or um, tips do you have for someone that's listening that's a parent that's thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I've been on the phone or I haven't, like, acknowledged that or I've traumatised my kids or, you know, all those racing thoughts that would be going on right now. That's such a beautiful question. And let me assure you that most of my parents, parents, (laughs) most of my clients are parents. Most of my clients are parents. And I, I hear this a lot. And... And a good reframe that we can use here is that you as a parent are also your own person and you're going through own shifts and, and you doing the best that you can is the best example that you give, give to your children. And a, a very positive reframe is that even if you have made a mistake in the past, the best thing you can give to your child is to talk about these mistakes as teachers, as feedback. And when you open this conversation, you become not only the best version of yourself, but you're no longer haunted by these fears that you're not doing enough as a parent. Because children, they copy their parents. And when they copy your your communication style of someone who is honest, of someone who says, you know what, yesterday I was in a bad mood because I had this stressful day at work and I might have come across as distant. I want you to know how much I love you. It has nothing to do with you. Right. And just having this conversation with, with your children and what children, uh, will do growing up, they'll, they'll have the same conversation. So this is the best thing you can actually give to your children, the, the conversation. Mm, it opens the door to their self-awareness, doesn't it? Yes, yes. It gives them permission and, and role models that when they get a bit older, they can go back and reflect on their childhood because our children need to grow up in the world. They're going to have things in their childhood that they found were helpful and things that they found were unhelpful. And when they do their self-worth and their self-work and their self-awareness, they can then unpack that as well. But you're 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 encouraging them to to start that journey and that it's okay to have those conversations. Yes, yes, absolutely. And again, the the final thing I want to share here is that, uh, as I said earlier, I love my mom so much. And nevertheless, when I was going through my own shifts, I I was holding on some blame because of I was blaming her that she did not uh, leave my dad. I was actually begging her to divorce him. And what helped me was that I was able to see my mom as a human being. And I told myself, my mom was doing the best that she could. And I know how much she loves me. And and what I can do right now is to love her with all my heart and to know that she really did the best that she could. And I, I really think that parents giving themselves this grace that they are doing the best that they can. And their children, when mm. they absorb their love, they're going to see that. Mm. I want to ask you so many questions. I feel like we have just <laughs> absolutely skated across the top. <laughs> you know, I and there's so many times that it was really hard for me throughout this conversation not to be like yes and yes and yes because you know, we it's the reason we get along so well is we actually have very similar values and the way that we work with people is very similar. But, you know, I was trying really hard to hold that <laughs> space because you explain it mm. so beautifully, you know. I think hopefully when everyone's listening at the moment, you're all really clear on one, two, three steps that you can do today if it's something that you want to start, if it's a journey you want to start. I mean, Anne-Maria's stuff's going to be in our show notes if you want to reach out to her. And giving yourself permission might even be mm-hmm. the first step. 
like giving yourself permission to say, yes, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I don't know how yet, or I don't know, don't really know anything. I'm going to start messy and I'm going to start unsure and I'm going to start with uncertainty, but I'm just going to start. You know, taking that very first step, taking one action mm-hmm. step today can be the biggest difference in your life. Yes. So, Emery, I really love to finish these interviews with asking the question, who in your world makes you truly belly laugh? <laughs> I make myself laugh all the time. But, <laughs> yeah, I can be very goofy. Um, but also my partner, he's so funny. Uh, this is our one of our ways to have quality time together. We are very silly and we both have an active inner child and we do things that are just fun and playful and and laughing is one of my hobbies. I love to laugh. So, <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that you've got that down as one of your hobbies. <laughs> I think everyone can everyone go and put that on there. Change your social medias today. Everyone change your LinkedIn, change your Facebook, change your Instagrams and put my hobby is laughing because wouldn't that be fabulous if everyone in the world took that up as an intention for it to be a hobby that they're going to invest in every single day of their life? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And Amory, just before we go, is there anything that I didn't ask you or anything that you wanted to say to close the conversation off? First of all, this was such a great conversation. I can't believe it's been an hour because it felt like 10 minutes. And for everyone who listened to this podcast, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Remember that you're seen, you are appreciated, you are respected, and you deserve the best. So much love to you, Amory. Thank you so much for your time today. And I know I've said this already to everyone, but please jump on the show notes and check it out. And if you found that this podcast was valuable to you and you, I know there's people in your phone, people in your circle, people in your world that could really benefit from listening to this conversation today. So share it with the people that you know might be in a position where they're ready to hear it so that we can share this love and help everyone to find that self-love, self-worth, which then can lead on to happiness. And happiness, you know, when you said the other earlier about the word trauma being overused, I sometimes feel mm. like that with happiness. But it's because happiness, we don't really look at what yes. happiness really means, yeah. you know. And so happiness in its purest form is what we can really start to make a difference in people's lives and contentment. So thank you so much. Oh, I took so much away from this interview and I really hope that you did too. You can find out more about Amaria through the links that we share in the show notes and we've also attached one of her articles about your inner child. If you enjoyed this interview, we'd love you to head over and leave a review and I want to thank everyone for taking time out of your busy day and sharing this experience with us. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.